Now, we live our Christian life believing in the providence of God, that God behind the scenes is able to move and work His will. Don't we believe that? I believe that. I believe that God has a plan, and He's working His plan, and I believe He's right on schedule. I don't believe He's behind schedule. I believe He has a purpose in what He's doing. And He can use the wickedness of man to accomplish His will. So when He talks about He has the keys of David. Remember now, David was the king. He was the king. Uh, as a king, do you know that they used to talk about the divine rights of kings? What does it mean by the divine right of kings? That a king could do pretty much whatever he wanted to do. He has the authority. He can say, you live or you die. He can have you stoned. He can pardon you. The king pretty powerful. But Jesus Christ has the key. And when you talk about the key of David, you're talking about the right of royalty. He is not only deity. Whenever you hear those two phrases that are mentioned in the word of God, the son of man... Son of God. Remember, you all talk about Jesus Christ. Son of man, son of God. If he's talking about the son of man, that's his humanity. Talks about the son of God, that's his deity. So as you study the scriptures, you'll see that it talks about Jesus Christ, the son of man. Okay, that's proven he is the son of man. He's his humanity. He is the perfect man. Son of God, he is divinity. He is divine. He is deity. He's God. He is the perfect God man. That's who he is. And he has the authority as the son of man to set up on the throne of David. And as the right to rule, he has authority. And he can open up doors, and he can close doors. I am glad to know he's not only the creator of heaven and the earth, he's not only the head of the church, he is also the king of Israel. And I know him. He's a buddy of mine. He's a friend of mine. Do you believe that God, Jesus Christ, is able to open up doors that you can't open? Have things happen that you can't make happen? Have you ever got to the place where you have come to the end of yourself? You know, like the guy that was in the hog pen <laughs> when he came to himself? So how did he come to himself? Nobody gave to him. Nobody helped him. He said, boy, I'd just love to eat some of the corn husks that the hogs are eating. He says, and here I am. My father, my father has food to spare. And the servants are eating better than me. He says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going home. And I'm going to tell my daddy. He said, I messed up. And his dad came and put a robe of righteousness upon him and gave him the ring and shoes on his feet. He says, you're my son. He said, I'll just be a servant. You're my son. God in heaven knows what you and I need. And he is opening doors and he is closing doors. Have you ever prayed for something and you didn't get it? And down the road you find out, boy, that was an answer to prayer. That you're glad that God didn't answer all your prayers. I've lived long enough to appreciate the fact God doesn't answer all my prayers. Because sometimes I don't pray exactly what, because I'm limited in knowledge. And when you're limited in knowledge, you're limited in the quality of your prayer. So you don't know exactly sometimes how to pray. Have you ever had something to come up? But you don't know how to pray. You're, you're not sure. You don't know whether I should do this or should I do that. I battled that for about six months. 
before I came down here. But it seemed like God started closing the door. And God opened up another door. And I'm still expecting God to open up some doors, and He'll probably close a few other doors. So you can't do anything. But here's one thing to keep it in mind. If God closes a door, don't you charge it with a crowbar and a sledgehammer. You'll wish you hadn't forced that door open. If God opened the door, let God open the door. You don't have to ever do anything wrong, sneaky, conniving, in order to try to make your opportunity. If you can't get something by doing right, you don't need it. I don't care what it is. If you can't do it right, and you can't be honest to get what you believe God wants you to have, then you don't need to do it. You always do right. It's always right to do right. You don't do wrong. God will never lead you to do wrong. If my God can't open up a door for me and provide for me or do whatever He wants me, then it don't need to be opened. I don't need to go through it. And I'll forfeit it. And I'll live long enough probably to realize, boy, God is so much smarter than I am. And sometimes at the moment it seems like, God, you got to come through. I need you now. Now. Not now. Emergency. Flash, flash. <laughs> Red lights. And... It says, you know, the throne of grace. The throne of grace. What in the world is a throne of grace? It's a place where you can go to get all the help that you need in time. In the time of need. See, God's the one that knows the timing and when you really need it. And I believe the Lord will come through. Can you trust Him? Can you trust the Lord? I don't know how I'll ever get through when I get carried away. <laughs> I'm just talking about opening the door. But anyway, that's okay. It's perfectly all right. I did not decide before I started tonight I was going to finish the third chapter anyway. See how good that is? It don't matter. But look in verse 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. Now remember this? In the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 16, uh, when it talks about uh, Paul says, I have an open door, a door of opportunity, an open door. He says, but there are many what? Open door. But there are many adversaries. Y'all don't remember that? Well, I just taught y'all that about a month ago or two months ago. You're supposed to remember all this stuff. But there's adversaries. In other words, with every open door, there's problems. There's always problems. You've got problems in everything. And it don't always run smooth. There's always something that goes wrong. I don't care what you do. Uh, he's going to find out, running, working with those teenagers... Right now, they probably just, oh, he's just a wonderful guy. We're going to do everything he says. They're just going to love him to death. All he has to do is say one thing and, they're going to, and cross him, and they're going to hate his guts. And then he'll turn on him. I never did like him to start with. And then he's going to go home and cry, whine. You know what somebody told me the other day? He says, you want some cheese with that? I says, what? He says, you want some cheese with that? I says, cheese for what? He says, well, no, cheese and wine and goes good together. You know who said that to me? My son-in-law sitting right there. <laughs> I hit this golf ball and went in the woods and I'm just a whining. He says, you want some cheese with that? Now, every time I hit the ball, and he goes, and I'm... especially if he's, he's close by, I'm going bite my tongue. Want some cheese with that? But now, this church here, I believe, uh, was not uh, a mega church. 
Now, the church in Jerusalem, when it first started, it was probably what you would consider a mega church. I mean, a huge church. There were lots of people trusting Christ as Savior and been joining all the time. But look what he says in the last part. He says, For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. When he talks about a little strength, I don't think he's talking about the individuals. I believe individually they were strong, because he says, You have my word, you kept my word, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. But they were fewer in number. You see, the strength of a church is not how many people you have. It's the strength of the individuals that you have. You see, uh, we could have 200 people in this church on a Sunday morning. That doesn't mean that we're a strong church. We will probably be as strong as the people that usually come on a Sunday night or Wednesday night and so forth. The workers in the church, that is your backbone of your church that makes it happen. A lot of people will not accept the responsibility. But I'm thankful for every person that darkens the doors. I don't care whether you get involved, you don't do anything. I just, I just like to see a warm body that I can talk to and maybe influence them for the Lord, you know. But he says that you're of little strength, that you're not mighty in number. There's a few of you, but you're still they're getting praise from the Lord. Do you think there's a God in heaven that looks down and knows how strong you are spiritually? He knows whether you're weak. He knows whether you're strong. And he says that he's going to either bless or, re, uh, or chasten because God knows our works. He knows our attitudes, why we do what we do. He knows what we say. If you want to know how the Lord really knows how you think, uh, look at the next church. But we haven't got there yet, but we'll look at it in just a minute. But look in verse 9. He says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Uh, just very quickly, take your Bible and look in the book of Romans in chapter 2. Hold your place right there. But Romans in chapter 2, and you'll have a little bit of an idea probably what he's talking about here. Because there's some people who think they're Christians because they go to church, and there were probably some that thought they were Jews of God's chosen people because they went to the synagogue and that they were saved and going to go to heaven. No, no more than that. See there in chapter 2. Uh, look there in verse 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. In other words, those that accounted for the seed are those not just because you are of Jewish flesh, but because they had trusted Christ as their Savior. They were circumcised in heart, not in the flesh. That doesn't save anybody. It says you don't put no confidence in the flesh. So, But these are people that had trusted Christ as their Savior, and yes, they were of the nation of Israel. Now look over there in the book of Romans in chapter 9 and verse 8. Romans chapter 9 and verse 8. Now you know chapter 9, 10, and 11 deals with the nation of Israel. Chapter 9 deals with the past of Israel. Chapter 10 with the present of Israel. Chapter 11 deals with the future of Israel. But in chapter 9, look at verse 8. As he's talking down through here about, in verse, like in verse 4, who are Israelites? Well, who are they? Just anybody? Uh, look what he says down in verse 7. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called, which is faith. In verse 8, that is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. And see, the Jews were taken upon themselves, well, we're the chosen of God. We're, the, we're God's children. You're not God's child unless you're born into his family, unless you believe on Jesus Christ. So 
not everybody is a, uh, a believer just because they, well, I got Jewish flesh. No. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? So he says that uh, there is the devil and he has a synagogue. Remember this, the devil has his preachers. They're devil and he has preachers. I have a sermon that they're working on getting ready for the uh, radio broadcast called The Damnable Doctrine of the Devil. Well, that ought to be a good one. The damnable doctrine of the devil. Does the devil have doctrine? Does he have preachers? Yes, he does. Does the devil have churches? Yes, they do. And there's a lot of so churches that are run by the devil. I'm serious. And um, can a Christian do the devil's work? Just like when guy says, I know the Lord's here tonight. How do you know the Lord's here tonight? I brought him. One person says, I know the devil's here tonight. How do you know? Well, you brought him. Well, go back to Revelation chapter 3. So he says, I'm going to teach a lesson and how that was done at that time in that church. It doesn't say all these things about it. But the church there at this time would know and understand more because it was to them. It's in its context and dealing with that church. Look at verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience. When you're talking about keeping the word of my patience, it means that when trials and tribulations and all those things come, you waited and trusted in the Lord. That's being patient. When you know the Lord and His Word, and you can be patient. That means you don't take matters into your own hand. That means you don't let anger uh, run rampant over you. When you don't let yourself get so mad and angry, you say and do things you shouldn't say and do. Then, um, as he makes the statement here, I also will keep thee in the hour of temptation. Now, there's two things about this verse. One, is he talking about the tribulation period that's coming upon the earth, and because of your obedience, I'm going to save you from going into the tribulation period. Well, if that's the case, then that would make your obedience the reason why you didn't go into the tribulation. Okay, but what about Christians that are not obedient? They get to go into the tribulation? I can't buy that. Now, isn't it true that the devil in chapter 12... It makes the statement that he has deceived the whole world. Our accuser of the brethren goes before the Father and accuses us. And it says he deceived the whole world. Whether you and I like it or not, there's times in our life we've been deceived. We have not always believed all the truth all the time. We even lie to ourselves and deceive ourselves. And we have been lied to and been deceived. You know, the old devil has a heyday with us. But only by the grace of God are we alive. You know, if I was the devil, if I was the devil, I'm not. I'm not. But if I was the devil, I'd do everything in my power to kill all of y'all. I'd want to wipe you out of here. I'd want to ruin your testimony, destroy you somehow. And I wouldn't care what I'd have to do to do it. If I can't get at you, I'm going to go through your wife. If I can't get at your wife, I'll go through the husband. If I can't get your husband, I'm going to go through the kids. If I can't get the kids, I'll go through it. something, somehow, some way. I've got to stop you. Because the more you want to serve the Lord, the more the devil's got to fight against you. I just want to give him a big old black eye before I get out of here. I want him to know that we've been in a scrap. But I know this. If I don't keep my eyes on the Lord, <laughs> don't beat the door out of me. I don't mind getting a whipping from the Lord. I just don't want the devil to whip me. 
Now, God may allow him to have some freedom, but that's why you've got to be careful. Pride cometh before what? A fall. And you have to be very careful. And uh, I read a thing the other day about I am a soldier. I'm a soldier. Now, the whole time I'm reading that thing about I am a soldier, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, as I yield to the Lord, as I yield to the Lord, as I yield to the Lord. Because I know in the back of my mind, I'm not going to be a good soldier. I'm not going to stand. The devil's not going to get me. None of this is going to happen unless I keep walking and dependent upon the Lord. So in your mind, your attitude, you better keep your dependence. I'm trusting the Lord as I trust the Lord, as I walk with the Lord. Because without that, buddy, we can fall quick. It don't take much. And the temptations, remember this. He says that with the temptation, it's common to man. But with that temptation, God also will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Did you know with every problem, every trial, every temptation, God says there is a way of escape. There's a way of escape. And if you said, I can't take any more, I can't take any more, he says that it's not going to be more than you can bear. Whether you like it or not, the scripture says God doesn't put upon us more than what we can bear. Now, if because if it breaks you, it's because you didn't trust the Lord. But nobody has more than they can bear. It's just that it becomes a yoke of iron because you will not serve the Lord with joyfulness of heart. He says, I'll put a yoke of iron upon your neck until it destroys you. So there's testings that are going to come. And because they held fast his word, they, they did the work he says to do, and they were they had the love that they should have had, and they stood strong, and though they were not many, they were mighty in the Lord. And when the trials and tribulations come, he says, because thou hast kept my word, the Lord says, I will keep thee. When the trials and temptations in that hour comes. Now, whether it's talking about during my lifetime here, or whether it's talking about the, the tribulation period upon the earth, uh, which I think that's be secondary. I believe the rapture takes place obedient or not obedient. When he comes, ready or not, we're going. And we're all out of here. And no Christian is going to, from the church age, is going into the tribulation period. Look here in verse 11. Behold, I come quickly. Now he does something. He says, behold, I come quickly. It's only been 2,000 years. Behold, I come quickly. I guess uh, time depends upon how God sees it based upon how we see it. Do you know one of these days when it's all over with and we're in heaven, it's going to seem like it was so quick. I've already realized that concerning my life. It wasn't long ago I was playing in the backyard with my sister cutting off a dog's tail. You know, that was about 65 years ago. 65 years has passed since I chopped that little tail off that dog. Did you know that I can still see that little dog? In my mind, I can still see that tail wagon on the other side of that log. I can, I can still see it. You ain't never done that before? Where do you think hot, where do you think hot dogs come from? Man. You, know what, you know what the Indian said when the dog fell over the cliff? Dog gone. Okay, we'll move right along here. Verse 12. In the book of... Galatians in chapter 2, it, it talks about uh, 
how Paul had met with some of the head honchos, the other disciples, and he says they seem to be pillars in the church. And then he talks about the church and that the word of God is supposed to be taught to the people and it's the, the grounds upon which we build and uh, it's the ground of truth and there's pillars of truth. And whenever you become strong in the Lord, you're supposed to be like a pillar, like a piece of marble or granite that is strong and can support. People can lean against you because you're, so, you're strong, you're solid. Well, he says here in verse 12, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. Now, remember this. There's a lot of things in here that I think they, he, they hints us to, but never fully explains. But remember John, whenever he was up there and they had the great white throne judgment, and he stood out there and he said, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And the tabernacle of God was with men. And he says, And he went to show me the lamb, the bride, And in the next verses, it talks about, and I saw the holy city, the Lamb's wife. The holy city is where you and I are supposed to live, I believe, as the church, as the bride. And it's only 1,500 miles high, long and wide. How how do you like that for a honeymoon? Pretty good size place to live. And it's over half the size of the United States. And I believe it'll hover above the earth. And the nations of the earth are going to walk in the light of the holy city. Because there won't be a need of a moon or a sun because it says the land will be the light thereof. There's a lot that God never told us. Oh yeah, it's got streets of gold and the gates of pearls and it's got the walls of jasper and all these things. And the, 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 the river and uh, the fruit trees that give fruit every 12 kinds of fruit on it. And all. It can be awesome. And we're only getting a little taste of it here and a little taste there. He doesn't explain everything. He talks about in the, uh, the, uh, the one of Pergamos, talking about the, uh, I'll give you a new stone, a white stone with a name on it nobody knows. Now he's talking about, I'm going to give uh, my name. And he's talking about a name here. See, I will write upon him the name of my God, which is a new Jerusalem, which coming, and I will write upon him my new name. The last part of verse 12, I'm going to write my new name. I don't know what all is. You can speculate all you want to, and anybody else can, but they can't tell you what it really means because it doesn't say. I've read enough of the Bible to know that, hey, there's some things God doesn't explain. Kind of like just dangles it out there and just, just, just trust Him. It will be worth it all when we see Christ. It will be worth it all. Now, we don't have time to cover this last church. I might have to get that uh, the next time. But I do believe that we probably have a few things we need to pray for. So therefore, we're going to conclude and then have a few prayer requests. But first of all, I want you to look up here. If you're here tonight, or if you're watching by internet, I want you to understand more than anything else in the world, you don't serve the Lord to go to heaven. These scriptures is talking about those who are already going to heaven. But they're not going to heaven because they promise to live a certain way and so on. But look up here. This hand represents you and me, and the wallet represents sin. Now, we all have sin on us. Now, God says that he loves us. Now, he hates what we do wrong, but he loves us. 
you notice whenever I talk to a lost person, I'm always explaining this two or three times. God loves us. He hates what we do wrong, but he loves us. You ever notice how I do that? I keep doing it because I want people to know, I don't care how much bad you've done. God still loves you. And the greatest part about this whole thing is God loves you. God loves us. And because we have committed the sin, we have to pay for it. And that's eternal separation from God in hell. But God loves us, wants us to go to heaven. But heaven is a perfect place. And to go there, we'd have to be perfect. Well, because of sin, well, we're not perfect. We can't get into heaven. So how can I get to heaven? Well, if you have to be perfect, you can't. You can't go. There's no way you can do enough good things to pay for all the bad things, and you'll never be perfect. You see, you have to be good to be good. You have to be perfect to bring forth perfect works. Only a perfect person can live a perfect life. And you're not perfect. You are a sinner. So what do sinners do? Bring forth sin. And the best we have to do is still a sin. It's not good. That's why God says our righteousness are as filthy rags. So man cannot save himself. This hand represents Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. He came into the world because he loves us. He hates our sin because it separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. So he took ours. Paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. And God said that if you and I, if we would believe that he did it for us, he'd put this payment that he made to my account. All my sins are paid. See, there they are right there. He paid for them. I don't have to pay for them. He paid for them. I get to go to heaven on what he did for me. That is a gift of God. It is not of works, lest any man should boast the best news in all the world. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed, nice clothes, no one looking around. If you are here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, right now in the quietness of this moment, would you just talk to the Lord and say something simple like this? Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I got questions. I got doubts. I don't understand it all, but I, I believe that he died on that cross and paid for my sins. And right now, I will accept him as my Savior. And friend, God said if you would trust him right now, he would save you right now, give you eternal life right now. And you can know that you're going to heaven when you die. I'd like to have prayer for you. So I'm going to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand. Raising your hand does not save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you. And you say, preacher, that made sense to me. And I want to be certain of going to heaven. And I will accept Jesus Christ right now as my Savior. And I'd like for you to pray for me. Is anyone at all? Just slip it up very quickly and put it right back down. If you've already trusted the Lord, you don't have to do it again. But if you haven't, would you do it right now? Anyone at all? Our Father, we do thank you so much for loving us, giving us a free gift of eternal life, the privilege of serving you, not because we have to, but because we want to. And you said in your word that you would walk with us and talk to us, that you could use us in. And Father, we could be a blessing to you and you would bless us. You said when we get to heaven that you would reward us for what we've done for you. You said when you set up your kingdom upon the earth, we could rule and reign with you. So, Father, we thank you for all that you've done and what you've made available to us. We ask your blessings upon each one here now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.